Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad. Other person in here is named Alex. We have cards to go over because Kaldheim spoilers are a thing. Alex, say hi. Hello. We're going to just go ahead and jump right into it because, again, like always, like the last few weeks, if you've been listening back to back to back, if you've been binging and you're just going through a bunch of episodes already, you'll notice a pattern. Hey, Alex, did anything happen in the metagame? People played the different decks we already know. There you go. See, the metagame's kind of solved. Now, we don't. Sometimes there's a funny, cool deck in there, but considering the time and the fact that we have so many spoilers to go over, we're not even going to go over all the spoilers because we'd be here all night. It's not worth it to dig through like 70 decks to find one cool deck to talk about. We're just going to get into the spoilers. Uh, That is not to say that we don't think the meta is fun or the meta is good. There's just a lot of stuff to play, but we have seen most of it by now. Like we see like, I don't know, like eight or nine decks like consistently like rotating around the top, but they are like the same eight or nine decks Mm -hmm. generally. So we know them. There's not much to talk about, especially the deck mono green, because bar like two cards and deck never changes at all. Yeah, the the thing that mostly changes is like, do I want to run this cool artifact in my sideboard or this cool artifact in my sideboard? And you're like, son of a bitch, stop. And like 14 are set in stone and it's just a 15th that's a debate. Yes. Or there's like the the one player that's like, I'm going to play four, count them, four cards that I'm actually going to bring in to the main deck for sideboarding. It's like the sort of sideboard that exists and then 11 wishboard targets. But what a visionary. Ah, classic. But yeah, we're just going to go ahead and jump right into Kaldheim. We are patiently awaiting the release of this set, which comes out January 28th. And uh, I think Kaldheim's going to shake up Pioneer in a dice, a nice, decent way. What do you think, Alex, based on what we've seen so far? I'm not sure. I see some cards with promise. I see some um, some concepts we haven't seen before or like definitely unique cards with effects that you're like, yeah, I, I don't know, like... A lot of these cards, they can either fall flat or they could be super good. Like, um, we're not, we'll talk about it later, but like a card like Rise of the Dreadmarn, it's like this card is either like super good or it just keeps being awkward and it falls flat. But if it's good, this could like really change how we like play or build aggro decks, for example. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of potential shakeups, we're going to go through the list. Alex made a list of about 12 or 13 cards that we're going to talk about. We're not going to go through every single spoiler that's been released thus far. We would, like Alex said already, we would be here literally all day. So if you want to check out the spoilers that you uh, haven't seen thus far yet, you can go ahead and check out MTG Goldfish, Mythic Spoiler, uh, any of those wonderful sites. Uh, the big difference between the two is Mythic Spoiler offers the leaks uh, that we have that haven't been officially revealed yet as the spoilers you can see, where Goldfish typically does not. Same thing would be with like Star City Games and things like that. I believe all cards we are going to talk about today are actual spoilers. There should be no more leaks in what we're talking about. Because at this point, the spoilers are going to come in quickly enough that I don't expect many more leaks to happen at this point. And like I was saying, um, speaking of cards that could very well shake up Pioneer, we're starting off with one that I am super high on. I have the most incredible bias because my favorite guild will always be Rakdos. My favorite color combination will always be red-black. I just love the play style and I've always loved that kind of deck. But I really prefer the mid-rangey kind of style as opposed to like aggro. We have Valky, God of Lies, but it's a modal flip card with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter on the back. Alex, tell me what it does. 
So there's quite some text in these. So Valky, God of Lies. First of all, the alternate art looks like uh, a bit like the Joker from like how they drew him in the comics, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's a legendary creature god. Very notable how the gods here are generally not indestructible or that sort of thing. Um, Ooh, do you know why? I have no idea. Real quick, you know why for our viewers? They are, it's the Norse mythology and Celtic mythology, right? Like Vikings. Gods can die in that mythology. Can Greek gods die? Yeah, technically. Yeah. But like, depends on the god. They can die by the hands of other gods. Where the idea of like Norse gods, when it comes to like the Vikings and things like that, there's pride in dying. Where Greek gods dying is just like, oh, I've been killed. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a good thing. These guys, they want to die because Valhalla is a thing and it, it, there's a pride in death. It's honorable. So it's very flavorful that all the gods here on Kaldheim can die. It's nice. There you go. Normally I'm the lore guy, but well done, Brad. Uh, so Valky, God of Lies, one of the black, legendary creature, God. When Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card revealed this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. So kind of like Brain Maggot, but for creatures. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a second one here. Payax. Choose a creature card exiled with Valky with converted mana cost X. Valky becomes a copy of that card. So, Lazav. Yeah, let's focus on, before we talk about Tybalt, let's do each side separately. So let's evaluate Valky first, and then we'll go to the next side. Because I think you have to kind of understand these two separately first, and then we can talk about how the fact that they're stapled together and how that approaches their versatility. We talked about this off-cast, um, your initial reaction to Valky uh, was not as good because you're like, it's, you know, a slightly better brain maggot. Um, mine, I would say, well, it's not even a slightly better brain maggot. It's a different brain maggot. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really like strong um, because my envision of this is like turn two, Valky, look at your opponent's hands. Okay, cool. Give me your Uro. And then on turn three, you're like, okay, pay three for X, become uh, Uro and just start swinging in. I mean, that seems great. Yes, when you manage to snag an Uro or a Croxa out of your opponent's hand, Valky is great. Yeah. Given your opponent doesn't then just kill your Valky, because it's a two mana, two one, which is the equivalent of dying to a hot fart. Like, it, it dies to literal everything. Damage based removal that does one damage and every black card ever, except, funnily enough, he does not die to Doomblade because he's black. But, like, the card dies to everything. If he doesn't die and you snag an Aurora Croxa, you probably win the game on turn three. Yeah. Because if they don't kill it then, they're not going to kill it and the game is just over. Right? Like, sure. And the rate's okay. The, the only thing I always have is that it's less disruptive to take creatures. Like, usually it's the non-creatures that will then kill your Valky. Whereas, like with Brain Maggot, you can Brain Maggot your opponent and take the removal spell that was going to kill your Brain Maggot. Yeah. So in that way, I don't know how often you're just going to play Valky, look at your opponent's hand, and then have it Fatal Pushed. Well, this is where you play this in a deck that ideally is running Thoughtseize as well. So you go turn one Thoughtseize, and you're like, okay, cool. Where's your removal spell? Grab it. I mean, you, this also sets you up for if, how you want to play Valky as well. You go turn one Thoughtseize, and you're like, okay, well, maybe they have a creature, maybe they don't. If you see, like, you know, an Uro and, like, Fatal Push and no other, and everything else is, like, ramp package, if you're going against, like, Soul Tyrek, then you're like, cool, I'll take that fatal push, turn to Valky, grab Uro. Um, so, and again, I'm promote I'm promoting a very specific line going Thoughtseize into Valky, 
but that's ideally the kind of deck that wants to play this, right? Yeah, the the problem I have with Valky is that it's a version. It, it's a typical floor versus ceiling. the The floor on Valky I think is not that high because of like how quickly it dies and like you know the fact that like taking a creature is not always the most beneficial. I mean, it's funny to snag a Bone Crusher Giant, which would be the answer to it, but mm. like. They get it back if they kill it, so it's not even like something permanent. But the ceiling of Valky is unreal. Yeah. Like this the ceiling of Valky is super high. But and maybe this is just my personal style. I tend to look at cards at their floor, not as much as I look at a card at its ceiling. And the floor for Valky is bad. Well, speaking of ceiling, the flip side Tybalt has a pretty high mana cost, so this is looking at a pretty high ceiling too. Oh, to, all right. I'll read them out. I'm different to see you there. There's a, there's a very interesting thing to note about this, but I'll read Tybalt. Cosmic Imposter first. Yeah. Five black red. So you're paying seven mana for a legendary planeswalker, Tybalt. As Tybalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with you may play cards exiled with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. So immediately, because you get the emblem, this works like Gonti, right? When Gonti dies, you can still cast the card. This would work the same. Now, how do you get cards in exile? That's very simple. He starts with five loyalty, and he has a plus two. Exile the top card of each player's library. Noteworthy enough, you may play cards, which even includes lands. Minus three. Exile target artifact or creature. Minus eight. Exile all cards from all graveyards. Add red, red, red. So so what do you think about this card, Brad? Immediately I see this card and I was like, okay, well, the fact that you get an emblem right off the bat is really interesting. Um, that's the first time we've ever seen that on a Planeswalker, I'm pretty sure. Usually the emblem comes with their ultimate. Yeah, yeah, or like uh, Chandra Awaken Inferno was already like Sprint, Sorin, but that's still on pluses. Oh, yeah, the, the plus emblems, that's right. It's a free emblem, yeah. This is the first where it just enters... You get an emblem. Yeah, I think this card is a uh, definitely like you win the game card. It just feels that way. If you resolve this and get it down, um, there's not very many situations where you play this card and you don't win, right? Um, the minus three is extre- extremely powerful. Um, it's perfectly on theme for Rakdos. Is it though? It's a seven mana. Seven mana to get rid of a creature or an artifact. It leaves your yeah. Planeswalker shockable. Yes, but keep in mind, keep in mind. Stompable. It's not only just getting rid of it, it's exiling it for the ability to possibly cast it the next turn. Fair, fair. So like you exile their big creature and you're like, okay, cool. If you don't kill my Tibble right now, I'm going to cast the creature I just exiled. Well, you can do that anyway, even if they immediately kill the Tibble. Well, yeah, I'm... What? Oh yeah, because you get the emblem. The emblem sticks. Like if if you play if you play Tybalt, you minus exile their questing beast. You get to cast it whenever. Yeah, because the emblem stays around. We don't have emblem removal yet. Side note: Do you think we're ever going to be able to have a card that interacts with emblems? That would completely like break the fundamentals of the game. Yeah, because emblems are actually in the command zone. Oh, okay. Which rules wise, uh, there is only one card in the game that does actually interact with uh, emblems. And it's um, Karn Liberated because it restarts the game oh. when you ultimate. That's cool. Which gets rid of emblems. 
that is the only card to interact with emblems as far as I'm concerned. I guess technically Shaharazad does, or Shaharazad. Well, it doesn't really, because once you get back to the original game, the emblem is still there. Yeah, yeah, but you get away from the original game is my point. <laughs> you, you, you can get away from the emblem. <laughs> you can run from it. <laughs> I run away from my problems. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, and if you are able to get to the uh, minus eight, sweet, good for you. Uh, the, the add triple red is kind of funny to me. It feels like in play design, they're like, you know what? Minus eight, exile cards from graveyards, not quite enough. Let's just give them a little bit of a ritual here. They were like, minus eight, we've put this on one mana cards. It should probably do something more. Yeah. So we're going to slap a two mana card on top of it. I, I really think that if you looked at, if this didn't have the emblem and you looked at just the plus two, minus three, minus eight on Tybalt alone, you'd be like, oh my God, this is hot garbage. But because you get that emblem um, and you have the ability to play some, oh, you know, it's a really good card to play with this deck. Uh, you are in this kind of style deck. You play Agonizer Remorse as well because um, exile stuff right away. Um, no, no, but that doesn't work because it only works with what you exiled with Tybalt himself. Oh, okay, you're right. So you cannot simply cast cards from exile. You have to exile them. You may play cards exile with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. Yeah, you're right. And here is my problem with this card. And I can tell you from experience of trying to make a seven mana Planeswalker work, <clears throat> Nicol Bolas. Yes. The problem is, so this is a little bit different because you got Valky on the front, right? Mm. So this is... I'm initially going to evaluate it as just Tybalt, and then I'll like touch a little bit on Valky in combination with this. Seven mana planeswalkers are like almost impossible to make work because getting to seven mana takes a while. Like because that's generally not even turn seven, right? Going all the way up to seven in your curve means you are generally going to miss a land drop or two unless you're playing like some sort of right Sultai Grove Spiral Uro 30 land deck. Um and once you have that seven mana sorcery speed play, you wanted to do something big. And the problem I have with Tybalt is the same problem I had with that Bolas. The Nicol Bolas God Pharaoh, you can, the thing that impacts the board is either shooting something for seven, which sets it down to three, which means it dies to almost anything, or you plus and you exile cards from the top of your opponent's deck and the first non-land you can play. The problem is, is that there's a chance that just does nothing. Right, Tybalt has a chance of you come down and like, yeah, you can minus Tybalt, get like a good creature or an artifact and then your Tybalt gets killed and then you cast the card anyway. But that's that's okay. But is that something you want out of a seven mana card? It's a, it's a little low. But what if you play Tybalt plus him, exile two lands and then your opponent murderous riders it? Your seven mana, your seven mana card that you had to probably actively work towards it. You had to set up the turn where you were going to play this card. You plus it, it did absolutely nothing, and you die. When it dies, and then you probably die. It feels very random. Where there's a lot of five-mana Planeswalkers, say Nicobolus Dragon God, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, that are coming out of slower decks that are way more consistent. They either replace themselves, they also have removal stapled to them, but they come down two turns earlier, which for something like a Planeswalker is really big. So if just Tybalt was spoiled, I would be like, this card is unplayable hot garbage. Like even with the emblem, I was like, this card is never worth it. Because you have Valky, you can look at this a little bit different. First of all, if you have just a seven mana Planeswalker, you're never going to be able to put four copies in your deck, right? So because this emblem works with your next Tybalt, 
But because you have Valky, you can probably put three or four Valkys in your deck, which means you can chain them together a little bit more effectively. And you can also think of it going in a different shell. I think if you build this deck, you're building a Valky deck, like a Rakdos mm -hmm. mid-range deck that wants Valky, that wants the hand attack because it has like Agonizing or more Stasis. Like it, it's a very disruptive deck anyway. And sometimes when the game goes long, you cast Tybalt and it's gravy. And I think on top of Valky and Tybalt, good gravy in a disruptive Rakdos deck, I can see this work. I think if you're trying to build a deck around Tybalt, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. You want to build a deck around Valky and get Tybalt as a bonus. I agree with that. Um, I believe I did I did send you a, a, a Rakdos list of my first draft of a uh, of Valky Rakdos control list, um, which, by the way, I guess we can make this announcement now. Uh, Alex and I are planning to make some brews uh, based on the new sets, starting with Kaldheim, and we will be launching our first ever Pioneer Perspective YouTube channel, and we will be putting gameplay videos of Alex and I playing one another with these new brews. If you've ever watched Versus Live, it'd be similar to that. Yeah, we're trying a couple couple of brews. Yeah, it's in that, except less production we'll, value. We'll, we'll shoot hey. for the moon, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to play in person, unfortunately, when you're uh, you know six hours ahead. Yes. <laughs> where I am. But going back to Valky, uh, my final verdict is, it's okay. I don't think it's particularly powerful. I think in a right shell, Valky can be good. And I think Tybalt is gravy. Again, do not build a deck around Tybalt. I can tell you from experience, building a deck around seven mana Planeswalkers that occasionally do nothing, not worth it at all. I, I agree with that. You, I 100% I agree with your statement about do not build around Tybalt. I would be, actually, I would agree with you as well on the idea of if Valky was not stapled onto this, I wouldn't play this. I wouldn't. Now, it does beg the question. If Tibbet was a five or six mana, let's, let's, let's go straight up to five. Let's say like the average Planeswalker five mana. Would you change? Do you think it'd be too good? Oh, it'd be pretty good. Uh, you're, I don't, for five mana, I think it becomes more reasonable to run more copies, which means you chain them together more quickly, which means the card becomes better, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Like, you cannot run five copies of a seven mana Planeswalker because you're going to draw them and you're going to die. You can arguably run four copies of a five mana Planeswalker. And the more copies of Tibble you put in your deck, the better he gets. Because the cards you exile with one Tibble stay for the next Tibble. It's a bit funny that you're going to get like three or four emblems at one point. Yeah. A bit pointless, but. Um, so for like five mana, it'd probably be reasonable. Probably be pretty good. For six mana, it's you could consider it, but probably not. But you can really see with the Tybalt, you are paying for the fact that Valky is on the front of this card. Mm -hmm. And it feels with Valky, you're not really paying for the fact that Tybalt is on the back of the card. Makes sense. Like, I maybe Valky could be a 2-2 if he wasn't, um, if he didn't have Tybalt on the back, but that's about it, right? Otherwise, the card's just pretty on rate. I agree. Tybalt's not on rate. Yeah, do you think they were too afraid of making Tybalt... Because I think I think I kind of am inclined to agree to say that if Tibbo was by himself, I could see this being a five cost of thing, and no one would really bat an eye and be like freak out, going like, "Oh, this is way too good." Um, 
Maybe he would like plus. Maybe he would like plus one or start at four loyalty, so he actually goes down two dice to anything mm-hmm. uh, when you minus three. Yeah, spike field hazard and stuff. Like a die to like a random chain whirler or a spike field hazard or something. But yeah, I think for five mana, they it would have been tricky. And what I dislike, I will say, I dislike Tybalt from a would I play this perspective because of how unbelievably wild he is. You can plus two Tybalt, get a questing beast from your opponent, and get your second Tybalt just in the bin, and the card is crazy. Or you play your Tybalt, you plus him, you get two lands, so you're like, what card did I just play? Yeah. Like, why did I put this card in my deck? And you have no control over that. And I think that's also probably why when they... At least this is what I would think if I was a designer. If you make it like, hey, we're going to have Valky and Tybalt, which do we want to be, quote-unquote, the main side? which it seems Valky is like the main side. Yeah, It's because Valky is not random and Tybalt is unbelievably random. So for the sake of more enjoyable gameplay, you would want the the fair card to be the front and the random card to be the back, sort of like the Hail Mary, like crap I'm about to lose. I'm just going to slam Tybalt and see what happens type of card. And I also do think, I mean, flavor-wise, it's fantastic. This card is phenomenal as far as flavor. Of course, Valky being on the front is great flavor, uh, flavorfully. Um, I'm a big fan of the card, as is, re- regardless of how we you know evaluate it from a gameplay perspective, from a Kaldheim lore perspective, this thing is awesome. This is great. This is awesome for Tybalt. Um, and th- this is one where I would be willing to pay way more for the ultimate art. Yeah. But the alternate art is so good. I actually really like the um, the borderless showcase, or it's, it's not a it's not a showcase, but it's just the borderless. Um, I think Valky looks fantastic and is my favorite for the showcase with the Kaldheim border. Um, but Tybalt is uh, is is okay. I, I think the Tybalt side is better on the borderless out of all of them. Yeah, but I I do like how the how it works. The the the, the alternate one really tells a story. Right, where he's got the hood on and it's like Valky, and then he takes the hood off, but it was I, Tybalt. Right? Like, I, th- I think that's more fitting. I mean, we, we know Tybalt's Loki in this. That's it's Valky Loki. That, that's very, very on. Yeah. Yes. It, come on. <laughs> but it, it's very fitting for him. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this. And uh, I don't know. I, I kind of wish. Con- considering, I, I sometimes I wish they kept Tybalt the meme. But even in War of the Spark, they already gave him a reasonable card. Mm-hmm. So then you might as well roll with it and be like, okay, the meme's dead. We're going to make serious Tybalt cards now. And this card is super fitting. This is Tybalt. Yeah. This is a serious Tybalt card, and it's super cool. Speaking of which, uh, speaking of like stuff that is fitting for Tybalt, because I don't think we're, we were going to talk about this one anyway, we might as well throw it in. Uh, it takes like two seconds. The, uh, the Tybalt uh, trickery. The two mana counter spell. That's a chaos wand. Chaos warps a spell rather than a permanent. Yeah, which is really weird, and it randomly mills one someone for one, two, or three. Yeah, which is the most pointless randomness I have ever seen on a card. But it's very on theme for Tybalt. That card is straight up like, yep, that's a Tybalt card. Yeah. So what it does quickly, it's one and a red counter a spell. Uh, your opponent mills either one, two, or three cards at random. And then you exile cards from the top of their deck until you review a spell that doesn't share a name with it. So like you counter your opponents like Teferi Hero of Dominaria, and then you go through their deck until you hit an Azorius Charm, and there you go. Or you counter their Llanowar Elves, and then they're like, I get Ugin. <laughs> Which is... Though the other side of it is you can, yes. you know, on turn three potentially <laughs> go like, okay, 
one mana like shock or something and then counter your own spell and then kind of go through that for your own side. For drawing the comparison to um, Chaos Warp, it's a little bit annoying that it can't hit the same named card because mm. Chaos Warp usually shuffles in and then flips it and nothing is like either like more more memorable than like Chaos Warping someone's Avenger of Zendikar then they shuffle their 80 card deck flip the top card and it's the same Avenger of Zendikar <laughs> you're like really I just gave you more plants <laughs> <laughs> but moving on to the next card which is this is a spicy one it is a Sika God of the Tree and the backside is the Prismatic Bridge. Now, Brad, what does Asika do? So Asika is a three-mana legendary creature god, one in double green for a 1-4. Has Vigilance. And then it also has Tap, add one mana of any color. Other legendary creatures you control have Vigilance and Tap for, uh, to add one mana of any color. So same thing as before. Let's look at Asika first. Um, my first thought is... God, I wish I wish Kethis was legal. I would actually probably try playing a, a few of these, or like one or two, to give it a, give it a try. See what see what happens. Um, yeah, that's my first thought. It just bums me out. <laughs> I see I see legendary matter stuff, and all my brain goes, Kethis, my boy, he's dead. He shouldn't be. He's in the shadow realm. Look how look how they butchered my boy. <laughs> Otherwise, um. I'm trying to think of where just this. Obviously, we have the other side, which is Prismatic Bridge. But looking at just a Sika, card's not good. I'm not. I'm not certain it goes anywhere. You play this card for the backside, and sometimes when you need an early blocker, you play a Sika. Yeah, the one four thing is relevant, I guess. That's literally what the card does. I like how they gave it vigilance. You're like, I'm not attacking with this one four. I'm sorry. Yeah, but you can attack and then tap for mana. Yeah, cool. You can poke your opponent for one, and then yeah. You know, which poking your opponent randomly for one is totally in theme with what the backside of the card does, right? That totally goes in the type of deck that pings your opponent for one. Well, let's go ahead and look at Prismatic Bridge. <laughs> Prismatic Bridge is the backside of it. And it is the Wooburg colors. So you have all of five colors, white, blue, black, red, and green for a legendary enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or planeswalker card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So we did talk about this off uh, cast, and I told you the my first thought was like, this is just super gravy for Niv Delight. <laughs> it's just like, hey. Yeah, you... you uh... Just so people don't know, I, that's this the first thing I thought when I read this card. It's like, you can bring to light this onto the field. Yeah. Like, in, in case people didn't know, you can... Oh, we totally forgot to mention this with Valky, and we quickly need... I need quickly want to mention two things. First of all, because Valky is 2 CMC, you could put him in a Luris deck. And for the sake of um, at least modern, it can work with, like, bring to light, but it's less relevant. If you cascade into Valky, you can cast Tybalt, which is crazy. Right, if you play a Bloodbraid Elf and you cascade into a seven mana Planeswalker, it doesn't matter that it would have been able to cost five because you hit it off your Bloodbraid Elf, which is good. But so the Prismatic Bridge works the same way. Esika mm -hmm. is only three mana, and the wording is the same, by the way, on Bring to Light and Cascade, which is why I'm confident in saying this works. If you bring to light for even only three colors, you can go and get Esika because she's three mana. Then when you get to cast her for free, 
you can instead choose to cast the Prismatic Bridge for free, which is great. And that means that you don't even need to run the Prismatic Bridge in a five-color shell. You could just run it in, like, Sultai. Like, I can totally see a, like, Sultai control-style list just run, like, a bunch of big planeswalkers, and you've got your Uros, which is kind of okay if you hit this in your upkeep too, and just be, like, Prismatic Bridge Control. And that's going to be really nasty if it resolves. I think this card's really cool. Um, it, it does feel like one of those uh, win-more cards if you play it on curve. Yes. However, with Bring to Light shenanigans, I mean... It it does feel like you can make this as a value engine, uh, a la Reclamation, right? You you can ha- instead of being like Soul Type Reclamation, it's Soul Type Prismatic Bridge, like you just kind of uh, alluded to. Yeah. So I, I really think this does have potential, and typically, you know, Soul Type is one of those decks uh, that loves running Planeswalkers. So, and also you're in green, so you could jam in some pretty solid green stuff. But you have access to like uh, Ugin's in anything, but Ugin always fits better in green kind of decks that especially ones that can run gross fire or uro just make sure unless you're dying do not minus five your ugin because it's going to exile your bridge and you're going to feel pretty bad about yourself yeah but then you have to make that like that that call like you have to evaluate i'm sure you've been in the situation where you cast your ugin you're looking at your board presence and their board presence you're like hmm i have something that's the equal converted mana cost of the thing that i want to get rid of along with their other stuff but if i minus this i'll be left with an ugin and they don't Mm -hmm. so so i guess i will minus five my ugin yeah i i I love doing that but i I think this card's really cool i really think this is going to spawn some well i let me rephrase it won't spawn a deck. This will fit into an existing control shell yeah. um, that just goes like bring to light to cheat it out. Yeah, I think this is going to go in a bring to light deck. Now, whether or not that is Niftalite, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The main thing I have with Niftalite is that the deck with its mana and stuff is very much tuned to just cast Niftalite for five colors. And at that point, just get out a Niv and just get a hundred cards immediately, right? I don't know if the deck needs it. Now, what I'm interested to run this in is something like a three-color shell, maybe run a few lands that would be able to hardcast a prismatic bridge if you draw it, if need be, uh, with a card that's really going to help with that is a card we'll talk about a bit later. Mm-hmm. That's like a card like the World Tree, for the people who already know the card. Um, I think it's probably best if we talk about that next, so we reverse the order we have on the list. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and you just run like a three-color bring-to-light shell where you can just bring and the main thing is you bring to light the prismatic bridge but there are some other cards to bring to light where sort of like niv you really start using it as a toolbox but you have better mana effectively so my first thought is Sultai, but i could see a teamer band maybe you could literally go simic and splash a third color just to make bring to light work now i understand that you cannot find as powerful cards with your bring to light then but i'm sure you can find like reasonable three or four mana cards to toolbox out with your bring to light too maybe the deck's too fair that i'm thinking of but that is a shell i could see it functioning and a shell that takes forever to build so i don't know if i'm gonna have that ready next week when we try because this sounds like a deck that takes like two months to get to a good version of yeah i can agree with that but i was i will say to be fair in regards to the uh the multicolor thing about bring the light you're not always that upset about going with like a monocolored card 
How many times do we see Niv to light be like, I guess I'm going to bring to light this, uh, this hour devastation. No, but bring to light colors is based on CMC. So if you have three different colors, you can get a three CMC card. Mm -hmm. So if you cannot get to five colors, that means you have to get lower CMC cards. Oh yeah, that's right. That, that's the problem you run into when you start running fewer colors with bring to light. It's not the amount of colors that's in it. It's the CMC. Correct. That's my mistake. And when you use your five mana card to tutor out the five mana card, you're like perfectly even. And it's great because you can toolbox it up. But if you use your five mana tutor to get a three drop, I mean, that's still like you kind of cast demonic tutor and then cast a card, right? Which demonic tutor is a good card. But once you start grabbing two drops with your bring to light, you get really sad really quick. Well, there is a card like you alluded to a second ago that is going to help. Even if you're only in Simic for in splashing a color, you can run this next card to make sure that your Bring to Light always gets value. It's called the World Tree. Alex, read this wonderful card for us. From the people who brought you, can't believe it's not butter. Can't believe it's not legendary. The World, the World Tree is a land. The World Tree enters the battlefield tapped, and it taps for a green. As long as you control six or more lands, lands you control have tap at one mana of any color. The moment you get six lands, it literally just, you have perfect mana. Um, then it has double Wooburg and tap. Sacrifice the world tree. Search your library for any number of god cards and put them onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. So for starters, a friend of mine has a Morphon god tribal card in EDH, which literally has every god ever printed in it. Which would be kind of funny if he gets to resolve this, because he literally wins the game on the spot with Perforos. Yeah. But, which is probably the most boring way to win, right? You get your 30 gods on the field and the game immediately ends. But you probably don't shuffle uh, search for Perforos just so the game goes on for longer. But I don't think that card part is really relevant. The search your library for a bunch of gods after spending 10 mana. Like, that's, that's the EDH part of the deck. But the fixing... Well, to be fair... I, I agree that that in most contexts, yes. I do want to add in real quick, just so we can get this out of the way while we're talking about the uh, the, the the ridiculous. Is that ten mana? I see. Yeah, it's ten mana. Oh my god. Yes, it's Wooberg Wooberg. Yeah. Uh, there's a card that's releasing in this set called Maskwood Nexus, a four mana artifact that says creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that are not on the battlefield. You can pay three and tap, create a 2-2 blue shapeshifter creature token with Changeling. Or Changeling, good God. Uh, so uh, it's Arcane Adaptation on a colorless artifact, so you can play it in any deck that doesn't have to be blue in the same set, meaning we'll see a standard deck that has this. It's going to be beautiful. So you could go Mask with Nexus and be like, wow, all my cards are, you know, all creature types. So you can roll tree and just search anything. And if you do this in Pioneer, you just search for four Tower of the Peaks and an Angraft Marauder and you just GG. immediately win the game. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's fine. It's fun, right? That's super fun. The only thing I have, you can already run Arcane Adaptation because this deck's, this card's going to make it so you can tap for blue. Now you can run eight copies of Arcane Adaptation. But I think the other thing makes blockers, right? Yes, make it 2-2. Two, two. The artifact makes blockers, right? It is three mana to make a 2-2, two, two, which is... You can like tap it and pay some mana for, for a 2-2, two, two, so that that's cool. Hey, I mean, you're working your way towards 10 mana. You're probably going to have excess mana lying around somewhere. That's fair. Because obviously, you if you ramp towards that, you're probably going to run it in an Hour of Promise deck, right? 
and you go from five, search up roll tree, search up whatever random land you can find. Like just the first land you find, you put that one into play because it doesn't matter because they all have draw colors. You can run Golos in the deck. I think you want no, you want Hour of Promise, right? Because you want to get as much mana as possible because you need to get to eleven lands. Well, you need to get to eleven mana, ten mana, and tap this. But you build this. As a standard, if you're going with the the Maskwood Nexus combo with World Tree, you don't look at that as your plan A in a sense. Your plan A is ramp deck. So Lotus Cobra, uh, Grow Spiral, um, Uro, Terror of the Peaks, Beanstalk Giant, things like that. Um, and then Genesis Ultimatum. And then like Ugin's, I guess, on the top end. And But you also just happen to run some Maskwood Nexuses and some World Trees. So now you have the opportunity, if you need to, to just be like, I'm just going to get all these Terror of the Peaks and Beanstalk Giants and kill you that way because they're all the same creature type. But you go Genesis Ultimatum as your plan A, and then just you happen to go like, yeah, I, I can have this extra little value right there too. I think that's how you approach it. The same way you were saying with Tybalt, that you build around Valky rather than building around Tybalt. Fair. Coming to an FNM near you whenever we can do those again. Yay. This just screams FNM deck to me. It's fun though. It's fun. Yeah. It, it it's it's exciting. And to be honest, this can like fix your mana well, but it is slow, so like it can work in like your Niftalite style toolbox deck. But at the same time, there's like a, a slight commander nudge slash jank thing stapled on, which I actually kind of like. Right? I feel like if you take the entire god thing off, this card still works and it still does its thing. Just like how Valky was worded with having each opponent on it rather than target opponent, which is like, in my way, the right way to design cards with Commander in mind because they don't mess up your other formats. But I would like, before we before you analyze this anymore, the last thing I want to say about this card before you want to talk about the decks and stuff like that. No, I want to move on to the next card so you make your finishing point. Oh, that works. Okay. So my last point of this is, like you made the joke in the beginning, it's I can't believe it's not legendary. And that's been the thing that everyone's been saying online. It's like, why is this card not legendary? It is called the World Tree. Well, real quick, there's more than the, just these examples, but I have a few for you. Cards that should be legendary as far as lands are, but are not. Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle. Yes. Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. Skarg, the Rage Pit. Temple of the False God. Throne of the High City. And Vitugazi, the City Tree. All non-legendary lands. Um, all one of those makes sense. A godless shrine, shrine of the forsaken gods. I mean, makes sense because it doesn't imply that it's the shrine. It could be a shrine. That's true. Because the favorite text implies that they have been worshiping gods. All the other ones make sense, especially like Vitugazi, which literally has a name. Yeah, like Valakut. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Vitugazi and Valakut. It's like there's Valakut and there's Valakut too. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's a few. In that Vitugazi cycle, there are other lands I just didn't include in that list, but there are like other ones that are like name, the name. It's just name, the name. And they're all just non-legendary. And you're like, okay, cool. But then that artifact, uh, is, doesn't that artifact land cycle from a similar set of figures, like from like a long time ago that are like banned and like modern, I believe. Aren't those? No, those are legendary, right? They're not legendary. I I know the Meriden lands aren't legendary, which is why they're so great. What are the what are the artifact lands that are legendary? I remember there being some. I have no idea. Dark Steel Citadel isn't either. Mm. I don't remember an artifact land being legendary, but that could well irrelevant. But moving on, we're going back to Coldheim. Moving away from the coldness of New Phyrexia, even though we have one here. 
we're going to move on to the actual coldness with Yorn, God of Winter. Yeah. Now, Yorn, God of Winter, is two and a green for a legendary snow creature, God. Whenever Yorn attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. This is actually like, you already pointed it out before we started. There's a word missing here. Non-land, baby. Does it say non-land? Yeah. <laughs> so if you run, that obviously it does untap during your combat, so you can't like play this on three and then swing on turn four and make an eight drops. But still going four drop attack four drop is still super good. Mm -hmm. But that's not even the only part of the card. Like this is just a powerful card kind of by itself, but it probably won't do enough. But the back is Caldring the Rhyme Staff for one blue and a black. It is a legendary snow artifact. Tap. You may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. No, no non-land issue here. So you can just get a land again. I guess that's the worst thing you'd be getting, oddly enough. Yes. In most cases, but you could. You very, very much could. You, you can. If you're like milling yourself, which you might be wanting to do in this deck, and you're like milling over some snow lands, you just need to make your land drops, you can. Oh, no. Which is cool. Do you play Emery in this deck? Is this, is this an Emery deck? I have no idea what deck this goes in. This looks to me like, to be honest, for me, the most obvious home I see is actually for Caldric, the staff, in just a, a value deck. But that is fine playing Yorn just to like have some value, right? To have an alternative, because this artifact by itself actually doesn't do anything. So if you just need like you're playing as like an aggro deck or you're just like kind of like, you know, you're drawing like three or four of these, you've got nothing to do early on, you play Yorn. Maybe there's some snow lands in your deck. So like, you know, you can you can like get some extra plays. I don't know, let's say you're playing this in the Salt Eye Shell, which seems the most obvious home because it can use all the sides. And you've got some snow basics mm -hmm. and then you play this guy on turn three. And on turn four, you like thought seize your opponent, then untap that land so you can still play a four drop. Like something like that is still pretty good. And then the backside's obviously pretty powerful if we get enough snow permanents to care about. Yeah. That's the main thing, right? If there's if there's not enough snow cards you care about, this card's awful. If there's enough good snow cards you care about, this card's pretty great. I mean, we are in the snow set, so I feel like we gotta I mean, again, it's tough. Cause we've made this comment too where Caldime is the one of the biggest mixed bags of a set I've ever seen. There are so many different mechanics going on where you made the joke yesterday off cast saying uh, the problem with that or with having like, you know, so many mechanics in one set is like, oh, cool, you get a dedicated five, six, seven cards for each mechanic and it's hard to give any linear path of what the mechanic's going to do and you can't just be like, yeah, you can build a Berserker deck with five Berserkers, right? You can build a Snow deck with three good Snow Guards. Yeah. Like, that. that's, yeah, that's, and that is honestly a worry I have for some of the themes in this set, which is why I've been generally more excited for just the generically powerful cards. Mm -hmm. Like the Prismatic Bridge, um, Valky. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but it's still like one of the more exciting cards to me. The World Tree, like cards that are just good by themselves outside of a theme because I'm very afraid the themes will not be supported enough unless they had previous support. Now, I am yet to see an elf card that excites me, but at least if they, if we get a couple of good elf cards, 
you already have an elf shell, so it works. We got Magda, a good dwarf card, and we already have some dwarves. So there's like a stepping stone here, just like the life gain Valkyrie. We have nothing to start off with when it comes to snow. So if snow doesn't deliver, the entire archetype doesn't work because there's no previous snow cards to go along with it. Exactly. Same for Berserkers. You need to go back to 1997 to get Berserkers that actually perform the tournaments, right? We don't have enough Berserkers. <laughs> and as we'll talk about later, we've got some great Berserkers that do not at all care about the fact that they are Berserkers. Are you telling me, by the way, that you're not a fan of our boy, our ripped boy, Tyvar Kell, the Planeswalker for Elves? No. Oh, what a shame. He's four mana. He makes a bunch of random one ones, and like, I already don't want to play a four mana walker in my elf deck because it's a Coco deck. And there's been two other good elves, one we've already talked about, and one that is literally Shaman of the Pack, but then you can also gain life instead when that suits you, and it's four mana too. So it doesn't work. Because if you take the Coco out of the elf decks, you're initially making the elf deck worse to then put in good cards, which means your deck just didn't get any better. Except that elf sideboard, that elf planeswalker could be like a sideboard juke mm. where you bring a couple. But I would rather just bring in like lead to stampede and just draw four cards, which is also pretty good against control decks. But I want to move on to a card that I am personally really excited about. This is a new card that we haven't seen yet. Herald King of Skemfar, Ooh. legendary creature, elf warrior, one in Golgari, so three mana for a three two, menace. When Herald King of Semfkar enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an Elf, Warrior, or Tyvar card from among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in random order. Alex, what do you think about this one? First thought, fine. Replaces itself for three mana. It's actually a reasonable body. You can hit it off Coco because it's three mana. Um, has potential. Nice and grindy. Um... I don't think it single-handedly makes elves better, but I could see this card being put in an elf deck. So it's, it's fine. Uh, I like that it also has warrior synergy. However, it is in Golgari, which the elf, the warriors I would play more in Orzhov, so I think you care more about the elves. The fact it can hit the planeswalker is nice, but it doesn't run into the Coco problem. Yeah, that, that is cute. It's cute. It's fine. It's, it's reasonable. And he, he's, also, he's also really ripped. Why are all these elves so ripped? He's... he's unbelievably ripped i mean they're swinging through trees all day have you seen tarzan okay yeah that dude's ripped <laughs> have too seen, have you seen the meme where, where they take there's that there's a there's a frame in tarzan where like it looks like from the angle they're like there's no way because he, he's not holding the vine with his hands it's behind him so everyone's like is he holding the vine with his ass cheeks together yes i know it's that like, one <laughs> But Harold, King of Skemfar, is fine. It is more promising than every other elf so far in my book. So... Right. <laughs> I'm still thinking about Tarzan. You're thinking about Tarzan. <laughs> well, then I get to talk for a little bit while you laugh to yourself yeah. about Goldspan Dragon, because, oh boy, this card, this card is nice. So, Goldspan Dragon, three red red. It's a creature dragon, flying haste, five mana, four four, flying haste dragon. They are original, aren't they? But whenever Goldspan Dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure. Treasures you control have tap. 
sacrifice this artifact at two mana of any one color. So I have this weird thing when it comes to building magic decks. I have actually played Storm in Modern. I top aided an event with it, and I borrowed it of a friend for that event, and afterwards I immediately gave it back, and I was like, I hate this. For some reason, when a card comes out that you could build a convoluted Storm deck with, I cannot stop myself from building it. I don't get it. I know I don't like Storm, but I see this card... I see that you can cast like Expedite on it and all these red cards that for some reason can target your own creatures. I think there's Renegade Tactics from Kaladesh. One red, target creature can't block this turn, draw a card. You can cast that on your own creature, even though it's a sorcery, which means that you will be attacking this turn, yet you make it so your creature can't block, which makes no sense. Um, I guess it just goes works against control. And it's great here, because you've got all these cards that target, draw, target, draw, and what I see happening with this card, and this is obviously Magical Christmas Land, Goldspan Dragon, 4-4. You start off, you expedite it. It already has haste, doesn't matter, but you draw a card, get some treasures. You do like um, a giant growth on it, or a, um, a blossoming defense on it, so it also gets hexproof, right? Once the blossoming defense resolves, you just go haywire. You can fire prophecy this card if you want, because it will survive. Um, which also you can shock this card. You just storm off, you get it to 10 power, you cast a team or battle rage on it, and you one-shot your opponent. And you need to make it to turn six, which is a bit of a challenge if your deck is full of expedites and blossoming defenses. But when you do, it's going to be sweet. Because we don't have rituals in Pioneer. This card just, it's just built your own ritual. I don't think this deck is competitive. Um, however, I think Goldspan Dragon itself just has potential, right? Aside from my meme deck I just talked about, which is definitely a meme deck, maybe someone can build something, but it's never going to be like a meta deck, right? But just having a 5-mana 4-4 Flying Haste, that is kind of 3-mana, in a way, is super good. And if you can have cards that give you treasures before this enters... Captain Lannery Storm, Treasure Map, Pirate Spillage, those type of cards. We've had quite some treasure cards in recent years. Let's say you play this guy on turn five. You sacrifice two treasures, get four mana, play another hasty four drop alongside him, attack, get a treasure, crack that, and like team or battle rage this thing in combat. Like the sequences you can have with this card are off the wall. Aside from storm purposes, yeah, and being a five mana flying haste dragon for a you know four four, it's uh it's quite the uh dare I say it the gold standard when it comes to dragons. I would say the dress the treasure standard. Eh? It's gold span dragon. I completely eh? joke. I, missed, I somehow forgot the name of the card, and I was like, it doesn't make gold tokens, Brad. That's the Rowan <laughs> game. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh my god don't talk about that card i i love the rowan games makes me think of the uh the i keep think going back to memes but the one of the hulk from uh, uh endgame where he's handing ant-man the tacos that he dropped <laughs> a rowan games at the end you had your you had your one one they pushed it you didn't get to draw cards <laughs> but here's your goal <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> it's a parting gift uh, yeah, I mean, if if this was just um, 
if this just said five mana, four, four flying haze dragon, you're like, yeah, there's your mythic dragon. And then it just said the first thing was like you, you attack or it gets target, you make a treasure token. I'd be like, yeah, this feels like a mythic. This feels like a, one of your random dragon mythics. The fact that it doubles the mana for each treasure is fantastic. Like th- this is a really cool card. Has a lot of potential to do stuff. I can see this just being played fairly. Yeah, too. I, I, it has more chance to see play fairly than it does the, in the meme deck, right? However, mm. this always competes with our high overlord Glorybringer, and that is a tough ask to be better than Glorybringer. But the fact that the, this card is just a little bit different than Glorybringer. Because it could sort of work in this way where you play it, you attack, you, you play it a little bit more aggro than Glorybringer does. And you find a way to use the treasures to like maybe like empty your hand quickly afterwards. Right? What the treasure this card makes, your sequence is just like play this on turn five, attack, and then just empty your hand on turn six with the extra mana you get. And then make like this super explosive turn six. Maybe you play, like I said, Captain Lannery Storm, and you attack with her on turn three, bring this card out on turn four, attack with two of them, with both of them, get two treasure tokens, immediately have four mana again. Like, that's really powerful. So I feel like it might fit in a different deck. Now, if you... I'm going to shamelessly plug myself. If you find me on Twitter, at Disciple of Bolas, I have made a first brew-up of the meme list which I will probably be playing in our little preview event thing, just because it sounds super fun. Yeah. So if you want to watch me lose, you can check it out on our YouTube later. Because I will lose, but I will have fun. But when you get that one win... Especially because I have a really funny sideboard plan that I already told Brad, so it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) That was your first mistake. I was too proud of myself. I shouldn't have told you. (laughs) I'll pretend I I didn't see it. Now, if we want to talk about a card that has caused some uproar, oh boy, have I got a card for you. It's Ravenform. Now, Brad, what does Ravenform do? Well, Ravenform is a three-mana sorcery that says exile target artifact or creature. Its controller creates a 1-1 blue bird token with flying. It has foretell, and its foretell cost is one. Now, Alex, typically, this card, off the bat, you'd be like, yeah, this is a white card. No. No. No, because white doesn't get good removal, Brad. This is a blue card. We're going to talk about white's removal that it received today alongside this card to showcase how shafted white is getting in 2021. We can have a word about that. It's probably the worst card they've like ever printed. Ravenform is two and a blue, and the foretell cost is a single blue. This is a blue sorcery that can exile a target artifact or creature, typically something that goes into white. Yeah, the difference we've had with these cards usually, like the, the, the obvious throwbacks are Rapid Hybridization and Pongify, which was one blue, destroy a creature, they get a 3-3 ape or a 3-3 lizard, depending on which version you use. This is first of all Exile, which is, I mean, it's three mana rather than one, right? So that is like an increase, obviously. But it's Exile, arguably better than Destroy. It can hit Artifacts, which is something blue usually can do. And then you give them a 1-1, which is completely irrelevant as opposed to a 3-3, right? Even for, I mean, even for the sake of limited, you could just block this with your Windrake. Like, it doesn't matter. This is removal, right? Like, this is just straight-up removal in blue. And what I found so strange... And it's good removal. It's good removal. 
if we do our top 10, this might end up high on the list for the same reason Feed the Swarm did for me in Zendikar. We're just like giving mm-hmm. giving a color something new and like because what's the color pie at this point anyway? Like is super powerful. But what I find kind of comical is someone wrote quite a lengthy post on Marrow's Tumblr saying like, you know, this is I'm a bit I'm a bit worried about this card because again, apparently the color pie just doesn't exist anymore. Oh yeah, I saw this. Now Marrow said that this card does not set a precedent. That makes no sense because the card is already there. If you if you went to work right when we can, and someone would walk into the office one day, yeah, and they'd randomly just walk in and slap you on the back of your head while you're working, and they would tell you, "Well, this doesn't set a precedent for me going doing this to you every day," and you're like, "No, but you already did, and my head hurts, right? <laughs> like it makes no sense." Saying like, as if feed the swarm doesn't say a precedent for yeah remove enchantment removal in black. You already printed the damn card. It's there, right? It doesn't matter whether or not it sets a precedent. You've already done it. This card is stupid. This card shouldn't exist. And it's kind of silly to say that it doesn't set a precedent because if he was asked the same question about Feed the Swarm, I could see his answer being the same. Be like, yeah, it doesn't set a precedent. But you did it again with Raven with Raven Form. You literally did it like two sets later. But the obvious thing they'll throw to is there is enchantment interaction in blue. You have to go back a while for it, but Blue has had enchantment interaction, uh, artifact interaction in the past, and it has exiled creatures in the past in the form of, um, God, I blank on it. It's two mana. It's from Cons of Tarkir. Uh, sorry, it's from Fate Reforged. It manifests Reality Shift. Oh yeah, yeah. Reality Shift. One and a blue exile creature. They manifest the top card of their library. The main thing is just that they get the one-one blue bird. Because it's so inconsequential. Manifest, if you manifest the top card of your opponent's library and it's a glory bringer, you didn't really achieve much. Exactly. Or you even give them a 2-2. Again, a 2-2 is, I, you know, I'll say this even though I don't have to, is a lot better than a 1-1, right? As a 1-1, it becomes inconsequential. If this made a 3-3, like, snow troll, I'd be like, sure. Oh yeah, it should have been like a it should have been like a three three bird to be honest. But I I'm, I'm just laughing because I'm like you Raven form the the one one bird. It's <laughs> just to, just to flex on him. Like if yeah, if this made a three three or even a two two, like the clock would have been more a two two flyer as opposed to a three three on the ground is like a comparable slash reasonable clock. This just is meaningless. Anything blocks this. Or trades with this if you really have to. Just to keep this pleasant conversation rolling, let's look at the card that White received today in Divine Gambit. <laughs> it is double white. It is a sorcery. So two mana, double white sorcery, cool. Exile, target artifact, creature, or enchantment in opponent controls. Wow, what a good card. If the card stopped there, this would be a very good card. Would be amazing to see play in Pioneer. Nope. <laughs> that player may put a permanent card from their hand onto the battlefield. What the fuck? What I, the fuck is this? Like, you're, oh yeah, huh, I exile your Bone Crusher Giant. You get to play Ugin. It's like you play against Mono Green, and they Karn, and they Minus, and they get a boat. You're like, oh no, I'm in trouble. They got a boat. You hit this, and they put a Nissa into play. And it's like, yeah, happy now? Has your life improved now? <laughs> no, it sucks because you're playing mono white. Like, 
Why? This guy is Why? hilariously bad. It is so bad, it is almost funny, except I feel bad for mono-white players. You know, honestly... This card is so shit. If it just had that first sentence, not only would this be extremely powerful, but I would be like, good, good. Thank you for giving white something. Like, just give them a slightly worse. Yeah, because like it's it's white, white. It's a sorcery. Yeah. Literally without that permanent line, it might actually be okay. Now it's just hot garbage. It's not just hot. Gar- it's not just hot, uh, hot garbage. It's a joke. It is a literal joke of a card. And it says opponent. There is a very reasonable chance that you can't you can't even do it to yourself. If you could do it to yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, this would be cool. I mean, no, of course not. This card would be way too good. You could go turn one Legion's Landing or something, turn two Divine Candidate, put an Ugin into play. Cool. It would be off the wall bonkers if it could target your own cards. Like it would have to be a five drop before it could target your own cards. But in this way, it's just I love the flavor text. Yeah, <laughs> the the flavor text. There are rules, and then there are gods. They should add a line to it. There are rules, and then there are gods, and then there are jokes. Yeah, this is so bad. Like, and then there's white removal. There are rules. The rules are white can never play good cards. Oh, I like how 2021 green cards. You get essay filled cards every single set, like with the troll. The, 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 and it's all upside. Yeah. You have Questing Beast. You have the Troll. You have Nisu Shakes the World. It's like, yeah, good, good, good stuff. You have, you have Tyvar, which, you know, arguably like within the tribe, even though you don't like it necessarily for like Pioneer Elves and things like that. On paper, looking at Tyvar alone, the Green Planeswalker, it is a powerful Planeswalker for a tribe. If it said a different tribe other than Elves and that was for like, say, zombies or something like that, I mean, it'd be kind of awkward for zombies, but you, you get what I mean. It's a powerful card. But white's like, yeah, we have to just live in the year 2001 forever, forever. <laughs> You're not allowed. like back in 2001 where the best permanent they'd be playing is, is a vanilla five, five. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> cool. You get, I get to kill your big five, five and you get to drop another five, five. I have done nothing, but now you get to kill their questing beast or something like that. And it's like, I have Ugin. Yay. Or I exile their Uro. Hooray, I exile their Uro. But now I have Nyssa. It's just so stupid. It's so ridiculously just unfathomable how they even printed this card. It could even just say, like, they can play a permanent that shares a card type. But they can drop anything. Yeah, it should just say, exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment in opponent controls. You lose the game now. That's literally what I should say. You lose. No, give it some slack. Flip a coin. If you Kong, you lose the game. Craig, the recording bot left to hear without a warning. Robots are stupid and I had to manually edit the next spoiler. So here's Faceless Haven, a snowland. Oh, okay. Haven becomes a 4-3 creature with vigilance and all creature types until end of turn. It's still a land. It is super snow mutavolt. Mutavolt's bigger brother. Yeah. It's snowy mutavolt. It's like mutavolt with a snowman on top. So it's bigger and it's more expensive and it's arguably much worse. But if your deck really cares about snow, this is kind of cool, right? I could say like, I don't know, maybe play like mono black snow, something like mono green snow, maybe two color snow. You, c- you can run this rather than mutavolt. 
if you really want to enable your snow synergies. But as a card by itself, Mutavolt is, in my opinion, leagues better than this card. You can, um, if you're going to run it in a snow deck, oh my god, speaking of cards that make me sad, that fucking Kethis is banned! God! This is so, this is angering, because I just thought of this now. I was going to say, if you're going to play this in a snow deck or a snow matters deck, you kind of want to have some form of white in there for another card that we haven't talked about. Search for Glory, which is a three mana snow sorcery that says search your library for a snow permanent card, a legendary card, or a saga card. Reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. You gain one life for each snow spent to cast the spell. And I'm sitting there going like, oh yeah, this, you want to grab snow. And then I remember it says legendary card. I'm like, this is a tutor for Kethis. This is a Kethis tutor? I mean, I'll be honest, with all these cards that's getting this set, maybe Kethis would have been too good now if it wasn't too good then. But going back to your next metal band, uh, Faceless Haven, I think, is fine. If you have a snow theme and you run not too many colors, I could see you running this. If you are looking to put a manland in your deck and you don't really care for the snow, first of all, it becomes way harder to activate because the cost is super restrictive. Uh, and I don't think it's. Like, if your deck is already running a lot of snow, this fits, obviously. If your deck isn't running a lot of snow, it's not worth it to start running snow for this card. Because Moodavolt exists. That, that's my evaluation. Moodavolt is much better. The fact that it's cheaper makes it so you can, like, get it in really quickly. Like, like oh, I have this two mana up, let's just hit him for two with Moodavolt. Where Faceless Haven is quite the commitment. Because spend three, and even though this has Vigilance, it does tap for colors. So if you have very few mana left after that, it's a little bit harder to use the colorless than it would be if it like... Well, Mutavolt's a one-mana activation, isn't it? Yeah. So if, if this was two mana instead of one, uh, it make it a 3-2 instead of a 4-3. A, a uh, they can make it like a two-mana two, two mana to act, activate and not give it Vigilance so it can't tap for mana afterwards or something like that. Well, that's true. Um, yeah, I think this card's really cool. I do think if you are in a Snow Matters deck, it's definitely a card you want to consider running. Yeah. Um, now, the first thing, because Alex has made the joke twice, uh, the first thing I said to Alex when I sent this card is like, I don't care what this does, I am naming my, mex or my next metal band Faceless Haven. Because uh, for those, I don't think I've ever talked about this on cast. Uh, for years uh, after high school, I was in a bunch of different metal bands, um, and I would do vocals. Uh, so I would do like the screaming and the singing and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, if I ever do that again... Um, Faceless Haven is a pretty pretty cool name for a band, I think. That sounds pretty dope. I'm, I'm a fan of this. But the guard itself, fine. If you run Snow, you probably run this. If you don't run Snow, you don't. It's kind of straightforward. I, I would I would think, yeah, if you run Snow, I, I was arguing for... Well, let's look at decks that run Mutavolt real quick. Like, like Mono Black Aggro, Mono Black Vampires, things like that. Or Zombies. Stuff that has any care in the world for tribal synergies. Is there any concern, or not concern, um, is there any consideration for just running Snow Basics because you're already monocolored anyway, there's no downside to doing so, and just popping in one or two of these for an extra Manland or two? I don't think it's worth it because I don't think you're going to activate this as often as you think. Because first of all, your Mutavolts can't activate this. Your Castle your castle Lockthwain can't activate this. Your Urborg that you want to run with your Mutavolt can't activate this. So it's not like your average monocolor deck runs like 20 basics, right, to swap. Yeah. It's probably running, looking at like 10 or 12. And sometimes Mutavolt can already be a little bit of a liability in these decks. 
because it taps for colorless. So unless you have Urborg, it can be quite difficult with like Gifted Aetherborn, uh, Relentless Dead, um, what is like a triple black, like just running a bunch of one drops out in mono black aggro. It can already kind of um, Aria, I guess. Yeah, it, it can already kind of sting, right? Mm. I don't. I think adding a fifth or a sixth, like colorless source, just makes that worse. Oh, imagine if we had Phyrexian Obliterator. And so I'm not sure if it's worth it. Pioneer, be kind of cool. Ouch. I mean, would we care? Like, I find it annoying and historic, but I don't think it's like great. It's just like wow. I'm... Oh, I don't. I don't think it would be super problematic. It would be good in mono black devotion, right? It's effectively a f- unblockable five five. Because no one's ever blocking the thing. <laughs> and and Burn gets really sad uh, game one where they don't have their... Um, chain to the rocks. Like, their chain to the rocks. And they're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just scoop on the spot, right? If you're playing mono red, you're Probably. like, well, <laughs> I literally can't get past this. But yeah, going back to Faceless Haven, I think it's a cool card. I, I think... That, I want to be greedy and play and play these with Mutavolt, but I, I understand that a bunch of colorless stuff, you're just like, wow, that's a big feels bad. And the lack of the ability to even turn it on. Yeah, and it's just and it's also just too much, I think. In Mutavolt, I love Mutavolt for the cheap shots. Like I I love Mutavolt for like the the, the the turn three, like on turn three, you just start commencing the beatdown while still playing some one and two drops. Yeah, that's true. And this this card doesn't do that. What if we got a land? That was literally Urborg, but... Snowborg. Yeah, but just all lands tap for snow mana now. I mean, I would hate it, but if if we get that, like, sure. Then then this card obviously becomes more playable. What if... Depending on if that card is also colorless, because then it makes this card, like, still not playable. They actually make it legendary, unlike the World Tree. Yeah, and they make it... I don't know. If they literally just make Snowborg, then I guess... But I I don't think they'll ever do that. And otherwise, I'd want them to do a blue one first and just call it Urbrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
and then you can pay later the foretail cost to play it. These cards and this mechanic is so great in a control shell, more so than any other type of uh, deck, I think, because of the fact that you it, it fits in with your curve at any point. So look at Behold the Multiverse, for example. Now, typically, a lot of cards we've seen with this type of uh, value to them is, you know, our four drops. Yeah, they're four drops to draw, draw some cards. Now you can still uh, pay two or to, you know, put it in for uh, put on foretail, put on layaway. And when you come up to that, that point, turn four, when you would normally play this card for four mana, not only can you now play it for two mana, you can still hold up your foretell it away, saw it coming, or another counterspell like negate, um, uh, aether gust, things like that. You can hold up your interaction or removal spells things and stuff like that, and also cast Behold the Multiverse, which the same thing is true when it comes to your uh, Rise of the Dreadmarn. Not in the exact same curve that I'm suggesting, but the, the idea is still there. And the more foretail cards you have the chance to run in a control shell, the less likely your opponent's going to know exactly what they are. Here's where I want to chip in with the main point is why I initially put Solid Coming and Behold the Multiverse together. Mm -hmm. It's because they go on the same strategy, but they also have the exact same foretell cost. Yes. Because if you run a lot of foretell cards, but they have a lot of different foretell costs, it still doesn't really work that well. But if the cost, if the foretell costs are similar, or in this case, the literal same, that really makes a big difference with how well these cards mesh together. So to quickly go back to Rise of the Dreadmarn, now my first thought, because obviously my first thought was from the control perspective, was also, hey, this is cool. I can rough my opponent's board and then I have the army now. Yeah. I don't know if that's good enough. It's a little bit wonky. Also, because you are therefore like allowing your opponent to build a board, which preferably you just stop them from doing. Mm -hmm. It also makes it a little bit less controlled. Like, hey, what if your opponent doesn't play creatures, right? What slot does this fill in your deck? Is this going to replace a win condition? Because if your opponent doesn't play any creatures, you're going to have a very hard time winning. There's only like two or three win cons in your deck and then this. Yeah. And I think, and I saw, um, I think Saffron Olive, tweeted, Saffron Olive tweeted about this. They're saying, if you run this in a sacrifice style deck, you have much more control over this. Oh, that makes sense. Because you could just... You know, you could just, like, sacrifice five creatures. Like, I immediately think... Now, I don't... In my head, I don't think there's a lot of good sack outlets in the deck. But, well, like, one I immediately think... Oh, there is with Nantuko Mouse. What I'm thinking of is, like, Zombie Rally. Mm. And you just, like, sacrifice all your zombies to Nantuko Husk, bar, like, the ones that drain, like Corpse Knight and the other one. Then one black, because you foretold one black, you play this, you get, like, four more zombies, trigger your drainers four more. Like, that's great. Uh, you could sacrifice them for value, maybe do the do like Zulapor Cutthroat and uh, Woe Strider style things that we've seen with Bolas' Citadel. And the first one, the, the obvious one a lot of people will probably think of is the board wipe protection. Yeah. And I do think that like sort of if we order them in what decks they work best, it is first of all sacrifice decks that just have much more control over how much dies in a turn. Secondly, it's board wipe protection. Third, it's cute in control. Um, but the board wipe protection is really interesting because this is super easy to put in, a, in your deck. Yeah. Because the, the thing you want, if you're playing against board wipes, right, as an aggro deck, 
you do not want to overextend into a board wipe. That's always like the thing they tell you, right? Like, don't overextend into board wipes because you immediately lose the game. Now, here's a fun sequence with this card. Let's say you go one drop. Very simple. One drop, one drop, one drop. Where there have got three creatures on the board. On turn four, you foretell this and hold up the black. Okay, so now if your opponent sweeps you, you still get a bunch of tutus. Afterwards, because you have Rise of the Dreadmarn foretold, you can actually overextend into a board wipe. So it breaks sort of this like idea of how you usually play into board wipes. So it's like, oh, I can't put like five creatures on the board. Well, now you can. And if they wipe the board for one black mana, you're going to get 10 power. Your opponent's dead. Yeah. And aggro decks in Pioneer, if they go up against decks like let's say like Teemo Reclamation, that can be very reliant on a board wipe. Now granted, this is a little bit annoying against uh, Anger of the Gods because they don't... Anger of the Gods, any any exile. Yeah, they don't die. That's definitely a problem. But just the idea of like decks that rely on a board wipe, or maybe like Niftalite ran... What's the Boros one that just strikes all your cards? Solar Blaze? Yes. Yeah. So they they can be quite reliant on like... I'm going to ramp, 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 wipe. And these decks can actually be really good against something like a white weenie or maybe like more Ors of Humans style deck. Because if you can't overextend into that sweeper they're ramping into, because you immediately run out of gas. But then afterwards, you're going to have to rebuild your board. Your cards don't have haste. And they just wrath you again. This card breaks that wide open. Where you just go one drop, one drop, one drop, foretell this. Two drop, one drop, hold this open. Two drop, two drop, hold this open. It doesn't matter, right? Because if you wipe me, you actually die. Yeah. But if you don't wipe me, you die. You know what I think? And you can really get your opponent in like a headlock with this card. This, and it it, it sounds a little obvious um, because of the, the tribe, but like, this is really good in zombies. Because zombies, unlike other decks like have has a super genuine problem with board wipes like i from me playing that deck in comparison with other tribes like yeah there there's no like ways to give indestructible there's no selfless spirit no dauntless bodyguard no nothing it, exactly like it, it that deck struggles more so than other tribes and then it's not like the regular mono black aggro deck where it's like okay i have the ability to just get them back from my graveyard regardless so you have dread wanderer which is a zombie but that's your only one that has recursion. Well, yeah, and um, I think Relentless Dead, does it go back to the field? Well, you can pay X and get something else to the field. Re- Relentless Dead, you have to have open mana. The same thing with this, though. And I would be much more inclined to have this as my one open mana instead of Dread. Because uh, well, Relentless Dead, your one open mana adds it back to your hand. Or you can pay X, which are two separate triggers, by the way. So you could actually pay for both of them. So you could pay the one for Relentless Dead to come back to your hand and the X cost for whatever card to come back to the uh, the battlefield. But Rise of the uh, the Dreadmarn is better than Relentless Dead in that sense. And I think actually would flat out replace Relentless Dead in the deck. Potentially, because it's also not a collected company deck, right, Zombies? So you don't yeah. care about trimming a creature if you have to, right? Yeah. Collected company decks tend to be at 28 creatures, or I think... I think 28 is the number. 26 is the minimum, I think. But yeah, around that. Ah, but like 26, and with this with zombies, you're okay going to 24 if you have to, mm-hmm. right? For good card because you don't 
you don't have to like crunch the cocoa numbers. Now, I think talking about it, I think it works better for zombies just because of the problem the card has, the, the problem the deck has, not even because they're zombies. Because mm-hmm. you don't really care for the tribal synergy. If they wipe you and you get five two twos, you can play a lord and make them five three threes, which is nice, but the five two twos probably won you the game already. Yeah, because you're getting some damage in early anyway. Yeah. So I don't think you actually but it does just work with zombies. Yeah. Like with what the deck wants to do. And then like it is nice, like let's say you're playing as a creature deck, not just sweepers, you're playing as a creature deck. You go into combat and people just start trading, right? And then you get this. And then you build the board, and then the tribe synergy does actually matter because you are still fighting for the board. And then it works well that it's in zombies. But yeah, I think zombies is a great fit. Even if they made just berserkers, zombies would probably be a great fit. That's another deck I'm going to have fun trying it against you when we do our uh, our thing. I have zombies already built. I can easily just same proxy up these cards right here, or this one card. I'll uh, if I if I think it's actually good because it might not be. I'll see if I can find the time to squeeze it into my no uh, Rise of the Dreadmarn. I mean, oh, I was thinking of the uh, the Dragnar dude. No, I was thinking for the matchup because if you're gonna build mono black zombies, yeah, I I might try and see if I can build rally zombies. Oh yeah, that sounds cute. Except if you put that four drop in your deck, I immediately lose the board, lose the game when I sacrifice my board to neck uh, to uh, Nantuko Husk because they're all gonna go to exile. Yeah, because we're talking about Dragger uh, Necromancer, which is a four mana, three and a black for a four, four snow creature zombie cleric. If a non-token creature an opponent controls would die, exile that card with an ice counter on it instead. You may cast spells from among cards and exile your opponent owns with ice counters on them, and you may spend mana from snow sources as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. It's... I think this card's really, really decent. It's Kalidus, but instead of dying and giving you a zombie they go like Gaunty style to the side and you can cast them. Yeah. That, that's basically what it is. And it doesn't have lifelink. I think, I think Kalidus is better. But. And you did run Kalidus in the side for zombies for a lot of, like a two of, um, for like certain matchups. That's also for the lifelink. That's true. The fact that this doesn't have lifelink, I think is a big comparison with Kalidus. It is easier to cast though. And this is a, it's a zombie, which might be relevant for like reanimating it with like a relentless dead or something. So, Triggers your Diagraph Colossus. So in a mid-rangey zombie-style deck, I could see that card being like fun at the top. Almost more of like a one-off fun of or a two-off fun of rather than actually making the deck like a lot better. But it can like add a cool dimension to the deck. Oh yeah, I agree. I, I, I thought this as a sideboard card first off as opposed to like a main deck card. Yeah. Um, like in those matches where like if we if we are in a thing where like we care about exiling their creatures when they die, I mean... Uro enters, immediately dies. Yeah. Uh, and goes to exile. I mean, that that's cool. Um, it makes them think twice about how they play with their Uro. They have to remove this first, which is the same thing Cletus offers too, but this is a little bit easier to cast, I guess. But you don't care if you're mono black. But if you run into that awkward hand where you have some Mutavolts, no Urbergs, and like a swamp, then uh, this is castable in that sense where Cletus is not. But the amount of times you have those games are a little bit less than you would think so yeah i would i would build with that drug necromancer guy more for the fun of it rather than actually thinking like oh this is gonna be great yeah i, I agree with that but it could be a fun addition to zombies. hopefully we get some more zombies but we'll see
Gonna go to the next card, and I'll be honest, I almost like exclusively... The reason I want to talk about this is because of the backside. I hardly care for the front side. Um, but we'll go for the front side first, because that makes sense. With Kolvori. God, it cares about legendaries, so Brad is sad. More captive stuff. Kolvori, God of Kinship. Two mana, uh, four mana, sorry, two and green green for a 2-4. Legendary creature, God. As long as you control three or more legendary creatures, includes itself, uh, Kolviri gets plus four, plus two, and has Vigilance, which means it would be a four mana 6-6, six, six, which is bonkers. Yeah. Um, two tap, uh, one and a green tap. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a legendary creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Nope, super int- It's fun, it's big, Legends matters. Uh, I think Jim Davis has been playing like an I Am Legend deck for a while on Arena, which is like Celestia Legends. Mm-hmm. This is fun in that. Dude. I don't have too much more to say about this card. You might be right that if Kethis was legal, that some of these cards in this set, with this card, Search for Glory, and the other uh, Legends Matters uh, card with uh, the uh, with the bridge in the back, th- those all might be too... And we'll get to the backside of this one in a sec, but those all might make Kethis too good. These are all really good tutors types of things. Like this, the tap ability for uh, Kinship right here is pretty solid in Kethis. Um, and the fact that you get a 6-6 with Vigilance, because you definitely can. Yeah, yeah with Kethis you can. You definitely can. Um, to be honest, maybe an interesting thing we can do uh, when like we are like in the sort of like waiting period for the set after Kaldheim, we just like test Kethis with these Kaldheim cards. Like, will, would this deck have actually been too good now? Gives you an excuse to play Kethis. Yay! Um, and the backside, which is the first thing I cared about, Mm. The Ringheart Crest. One on a green for a legendary artifact. As the Ringheart Crest enters the battlefield, choose creature type. Tap. Add green. Spend this mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type or a legendary creature spell. So it's a legendary slash tribal two mana rock, which is actually pretty powerful. We haven't seen this in a long time. And it's an artifact, so it's interactable. It's legendary. So it's not like Rampant Growth, but in the short term, this is better than Rampant Growth, right? Because mm-hmm. you could just, let's say you put this in, in Elves, the easiest one. And you just go two mana, play this, tap, play an Elf. So you effectively only paid one mana for this. That's great. Um, if you can make Legends Matters work. I mean, it just makes the jump from two to four. And what I noticed in Kaldheim, and I've noticed in like recent like year or two years, is Wizards loves their four drops, right? There is a lot of four drops in this game, like, and a lot of good four drops are being added. So the skip from two to four is a really important skip. And if you can make that work in a specific tribe, because, you know, it's obviously purposely kind of restrictive, but if you can make that jump from two to four, that's super powerful. I wonder if, um, you know, I wonder if any of these cards makes... To Shar combo playable because that's legal. Because we, we, I mean, this is you know from two to Tashar. Yeah. So I, I think I don't know if you want to play turn three naked Tashar, but you can. Not, not. I mean, if you have a Mox Amber in hand. Yeah. Or, uh, or, or uh, you, you, you did. Ru- I did run. Um, what's the other? The 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 exile graveyard one. Zero mana. Lazav. 
No. Oh, zero mana. Um, zero effect. Tormod script? Yeah, I did run Tormod script in that list too because it's zero mana. And I, you, you had an inclination sometimes to consider Ornithopter as well. So you have zero mana historic spells that trigger Tashar. Um, so you could technically go two to four Tashar and then cast some of those to make that work. Um, I am interested in that. Maybe I'll brew that up too. And I, I would like to brew up both the, the Kethis version, the, the good version. You have a, a, a fun line for you. On turn one, you play tapped land because you have way too many colors in your deck. Yeah. Turn two, you play this, tap it for Hope of Gearper. Mm-hmm. Turn three, swing with Hope of Gearper, sack it so they can't kill your Tashar immediately, and then just go like Tashar, Mox Amber, get your Hope of Gearper back. Sort of protect your Tashar to come in freely. Yeah, it's, it's like the, it's like the Lurus. I guess. I am no Kethys expert. I have never played the deck. I've only watched it, especially when it wasn't standard, and it was miserable to watch. Probably fun to play, but God. <laughs> it's so fun to play because you're, you're, dude, you know how if you go through an entire event where it's like nine rounds of like a GP or something like that and your brain is just like almost numb? Fried. Yeah. Uh, imagine doing that with a Kethys deck. Yeah, I was say, with Kethys, you can have this in only three rounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, you have, there's so many lines of play. It's why I like the deck so much. It's like, hmm. How do I do this? Tashar is a bit more like we're trying to hit this combo pretty pretty quick. Um, like the idea of Tashar combo is you want to go into the loop with Tashar and Luris is the main idea with that. Um, and you're trying to get to that point as quickly as possible. But yeah, you, you, turning on Colvery and because there are sometimes where like you with Kethis, I would just go into a beatdown plan with Kethis. Reasonable body, it's a three four, and you're, just, you're like, okay, I'm gonna hit you for three. You can have Emery, Lazav, Kethis, and Kulvori out, and then you're you're swinging with a six six or Hope of Gearper is another legendary. Uh, actually, it counts itself. You can literally just have like Kulvori, Kethis, and Hope of Gearper, and it's already a six six. Yeah, and the amount of and that's so easy with the amount of legendaries in that deck. So that's a relevant and it has vigilance too, so you can still stay back and block. Um, God, yeah, maybe maybe Kethis would have been too good. Do you think if they banned, if they re-banned Oath of Nyssa, you think Kethis could come back <laughs> with all these? Maybe, but it's not worth it in their eyes. Please, ban Oath of Nyssa again. <laughs> Fuck Mono Green. <laughs> now to f- go about another card you can find with the uh, Search for Glory, being a saga, this is an interesting one. It is Binding of the Old Gods. Yeah. Now what does it do, Brad? So it is a four mana enchantment saga in the Golgari colors. So two and then uh, black, green. Chapter one, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. So it's, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, what's the Orzov one that exiles? Uh, not anguish I'm making, that's three mana. But what's the four mana one? Uh, utter end. Utter end, yeah. You know, it's a destroy utter end. Golgari utter end, cool. So already on that, you're kind of like, you know, kind of happy with it. Chapter two. Search your library for a forest card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Worth noting, it says forest card. You can get non-basics with this. Yes. You can get like shocks and things like that. Chapter three. Creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. Um, And uh, yeah, that is it. First thing I want to say before we talk about the uh, card itself, this is the first ever magic card that actually features a real picture as the art, as opposed to a drawing. It is a sculpture, and the artist that they had do this 
made an actual wooden sculpture, took a picture, he slapped it on the card. Awesome. Fantastic. Love it. I mean, it is super cool. The art is amazing. Now, as for the card itself, Alex, how do you feel about this right off the bat? So my first inclination, it's 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 a reasonable ray, right? It's slow, but it, it can get a lot, lot of stuff done. Now, what I think about this card, because to be honest, the third mode is kind of, I don't really care, right? It, it doesn't feel like a deck where it really matters. However, do you know what it's... Oh, it feels like they really wanted this going to elves. Super bad in there. <laughs> because you don't want to play yeah, it. I know, yeah, I know, I know, I know it's bad, but but Tyvar does the same shit, is what I'm saying. Your dude gets death touch. It's like it doesn't matter. But you know what is great about the fact that this has three chapters and the third one is bad? What's up? You just play play this, get your first chapter, wait a turn, get your second chapter, and I just blink it with Yorion. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, or bounce it back to your hand or something. Like you just don't care about the third part of the saga. And you just blink it. And this can go in like an Obzon Yorion, like prison-y style, or like prison-y, but like very like dirtily blinky style deck. And it's great in there. No, Abzan Abzan Enchantments, Abzan uh, Doom Foretold, and uh and uh Demonic Pact and stuff. That could work. Yeah. That could work with Yorion too. But like I see this and I think Yorion. I think it's gonna be on chapter two. You don't care about it going to three because it sucks. So you just blink it with Yorion and you get this effect twice. And getting this effect twice is really good. What is with a lot of these sagas lately? And again, I think sagas are one of my favorite cards as far as design is concerned. Um, but what is it? What is with like having these really strong first and second chapters and the third chapter is just like, meh? Because they realize they're too slow. So they just front load the power of your saga. Yeah. So it effectively, it's, th- that's what I kind of don't like about the sagas because they're so front loaded. And then it's like, it kind of mm-hmm. s- defeats the purpose of it being a saga, right? It's the curious case of, case of Benjamin Button <laughs> on the card. <laughs> but like, you know, if you get a removal spell, is this like three mana, destroy target creature and opponent controls at the beginning of your next upkeep, gain one life. Like, is the life gain really that does it for you? Or is it the fact that it kills a creature immediately? That's I don't know. It's I don't really mind. I think sagas are pretty cool. Um, they are really good though. Like these, like they can be really good because there is a lot of da- um, value stapled on them. Because a lot of the ones are a bit strange on the third chapter, but like Elspeth conquers death. Arguably, the strongest is still on the third. Right? It's just that the first and the second are also incredible. But it's generally, if sagas have a bad site, have a bad chapter, it's probably a later one. They tend to come in and do something good, because otherwise they're just not, not impactful enough immediately. But if you swap chapter one and two of this saga, it's kind of. But if you would search for a land first, like cool, four mana rampant growth, and now you can totally play around this removal spell that I have on the field. I just think you're on with this. I think if you do not, if you want to put this in a deck, you should put it in a Yorion strategy. If you don't put it in a Yorion strategy, there's better cards. Like, I would be looking at a Rub Decay, Assassin's Trophy, just those type of cards. But if you're playing a slower Yorion style deck, maybe you're playing a Doom Foretold style deck. I would say probably without Doom Foretold. Maybe you don't like the deck building restriction of Doom Foretold. Because this card is much more straightforward. Also a 4-mana enchantment. 
but Doom Foretold effectively requires your entire deck to be built around it, and it still slowly eats away at your opponent's board, which means it probably kills the best thing last. And this kills the best thing first. So it can go in a very similar shell, but you don't have to run crap like Golden Egg to make it work. Like, you can run this in a similar style deck, but actually put in only good cards. But I love Golden Egg. I've probably pissed off a Doom Foretold player. But... Golden Egg is my baby. <laughs> hey, I, I have a Pioneer deck with Golden Egg in it, and it's not Doom Foretold. But... If only uh, the shards weren't tokens and you could blink them and they just drew your cards on ATB. But then, you know, that defeats the purpose of shards. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> we, we want roughly better card. But the next one, we've got Solid Coming, Behold the Multiverse. We talked about these. Uh, the best thing is that their mana cost is the same, which means it becomes very easy to disguise. Especially because the option is, do I play into this counter spell? I won't. Okay, my opponent just cast a Glimmer of Genius, and I didn't cast the spell because I was afraid of a counter. If that happens, my god, you're far ahead as the control player. Which makes me excited to try and play these two cards together. Because Solid Coming is otherwise Cancel, and uh, Cancel gets, in my opinion, too much crap. Cancel is not that bad of a magic card. Um, we always have cancels with upside, but cancel baseline is not as bad as you think it is. It's, it's okay. Um, then the next one is Bloodsky Berserker. Blood Sky Berserker. And this card, again, it has Berserker in the name, and I do not see a Berserker shell work in this because it is also a human. It is one in a black for a 1-1 human Berserker. And I have the Japanese version here. I'm going to very quickly look at the English one because I forgot part of the text. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, put two 1-1 counters on it. Um, with it, I'm going to assume it's Blood Sky Berserker because it's just a literal translation. And it gains menace until end of turn. So if you go... I, I just see this in aggro humans, right? Just ores of humans. And you just go one drop, this guy, and then one drop Thalia's Lieutenant, and this guy attacks for four. This is very easily a two mana 3-3 three, three menace, which is just a crazy good rate. And it could be a two mana 3-3 three, three menace. That is a 5-5 five, five menace the turn after. Yeah, this, this card's really snowball-y. And that it's perfect in the kind of deck that you're talking about with humans. Uh, Berserker's non-existent, and it, it doesn't work that well. It really doesn't work well at all with the uh, the that Rakdos saga we talked about last week. Um, <laughs> this could just be like Blood Blood Sky Dude, and they could just remove the type Berserker, and I would feel the exact same about the card. God, Berserkers make me sad. <laughs> what, are you, what are you gonna do? You're gonna play this with your giants too? Berserkers are just the white of creatures. You know that, that, that people say like, well, there's actually a lot of white cards being played. It's like, yeah, but it's always secondary, right? It's always like good cards have white on them, but they're never mono white. Mm -hmm. And this is like plenty of good cards in a set have berserkers on them, have berserker on them, but it doesn't matter. Berserker is secondary. And when they are, and when like the mono white cards are being played and they're just mono white, they're not in a mono white deck. It's in like Azorius Control. They just like plays Elspeth Conquers Death and stuff. Exactly. Or like Path. Like how many modern decks are mono white? And you're like, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I, I want this Path to Exile value. No, you're playing, you're playing a control deck that has white splashed in it because white is the perfect splash color, but it's the worst standalone color. 
Yes, sadly it is. Look at Omnath. Case in point. <laughs> now, unless you have something else to say about this card, we can move on to uh, a pretty exciting card, even though it is only an uncommon. Nope, he's a, he's a, he's a scary boy coming at me with wielding axes with the, with the most disgusting-looking, weird hairstyle I've ever seen in my life, but yeah. Is it that bad? <laughs> Looks like a, like a, a Cabbage Patch doll. <laughs> With that little fuzz on the top? It's Chucky. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's it's like Chucky f- the Cabbage Patch doll. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him. Okay, the next one is we have runes. We finally know what runes are. At least we know one rune, and it's literally the blue cartouche. Kind of. It's almost literally the blue cartouche. It is Rune of Aviation, a translation, so this might have a bit different name. I, the The name on Goldfish says Ascension, so I, I actually I think that makes more sense. But yeah, whatever. Uh, well, I mean, it makes something fly, so Rune of Aviation kind of makes sense. Uh, it's one on a blue for an enchantment aura rune. Enchant permanent. When Rune of Aviation enters the battlefield, draw a card. As long as Enchanted permanent is a creature, it has flying. As long as Enchanted permanent is equipped. It has equipped creature has flying. So uh, it's an equipment, sorry. It has equipped creature has flying. So you could slap this on a creature. You could slap this on a vehicle to give it flying when it becomes a creature, as you pointed out. You could slap it on equipment to be like anything that grabs this flies now. Or funnily enough, if it actually says enchant permanent, you could slap it on a land to draw a card. Darksteel Citadel. This is going to be like build your own Death Star, right? Darksteel Citadel, make it fly, then animate it somehow. Like, you just put scissors on it, and then... Yeah, you, you just... Oh, this is Azorius Auras. We make the deck flying scissor, uh, running with scissors, but now it's just going to be called flying with scissors. Which put this Alex, on. Azorius Auras. You slap this on it, and then you slap the... Uh... Yeah, but it already had Cartouche of Aviation, so who cares? But uh, the flying Cartouche already existed. Like, so, last week... We talked about spoilers, and we talked about the uh, Rune guy, which I completely forgot his name. Uh, he's a good white card. Rune Forge Champion. There you go. Two and a white Dwarf Warrior enters the battlefield, search your library or graveyard for a rune, and all your runes, you could just pay one generic. Now, making this two mana card one generic is fine. But this is not the rune that I'm waiting for to break Rune Forge Champion. No, this is... Like, I Like... If you run a rune deck, this is like a one-off you put in your deck, and you're like, hey, I could use some flying right now. Grab my flying, slap it on my creature, fly over your blockers. That's cool. If there is a rune deck, it's not on the back of this card. Like we, We're going to need better runes before a rune thing theme works, because standalone, this card isn't good enough. Yeah, it, the, the main reason we're including it is because it's the first rune, and... Um... Since we saw the leak of the Runeforge champion or whatever, uh, we're we're very excited to know what runes actually do. And we had the idea that like the speculation was, you know, enchant target uh, equipment. This is better than the speculation I had. It's just permanent. Like this is this is cool. We just mentioned shard tokens, and I think it is we've got the time to quickly touch on Nico Aris, which is one of the other planeswalkers we got. Yes. So Nico Ariz is X blue, uh, sorry, X white, blue, blue for a legendary planeswalker, Nico, three starting loyalty. When Nico Ariz enters the battlefield, 
create X shard tokens. So your X doesn't go into extra loyalty, it goes into making these shards. And a shard is an enchantment token with two. Sacrifices enchantment, scry one, and draw a card. So they're effectively just, it's a super clue. It's a super clue. That's it. They're just better clues. Yeah. And Nico has plus one. Up to one target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. Whenever that creature deals combat damage this turn, return it to its owner's hand. Um, so this actually gets rid of blockers rather than create blockers, which is generally what you want your walkers to do. Yeah, that, that's a very strange... It's cool, though. You can do cool things with it. Uh, minus one. Nico Arist deals two damage to target tapped creature for each card you have drawn this turn. That's the way to protect itself. And minus one, create a shard. This walker is pretty straightforward. The value is good, but it's kind of awful at protecting itself. And I don't see what deck can abuse the plus one. Yeah, it's so. This is such a hard card to evaluate. This could either be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this could actually be a genuinely powerful card that sees play in Pioneer and is like really good. But this could also be a card that sees no play whatsoever and is hot garbage. So. Yeah, this just really needs a super specific yeah, deck. I have no idea. This is one of those cards that we don't know how it's going to perform until we actually watch it perform. You cannot evaluate this on paper. It's kind of like how, like, um, you had, I mean, even though people glossed over Oko when it first came out, when it was spoiled, because everyone's like, it's a food food generator. Well, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm happy to tell you that this is not Oko. I can make that take, but I cannot evaluate whether or not this card is great or not. My first thought seeing this is like, this doesn't look very good to me. It's a three mana Azorius Planeswalker. It competes with three fairy. Which is very stiff competition. It also can, if in, we're in the colors of uh, Narset as well, competing with Narset is, which, you know, effectively does the same thing because, you know, on turn three, I should say, this on turn five is a little bit better. Um, yeah, you can get some more shards out of it, right? Yeah. If you want to play this in like a Sphinx's Revelation style control deck that just goes on forever, then this is kind of cool because you can dump your excess mana into it. But, Maybe yes, there's more good synergy with shards, right? You do some enchantress stuff, and you just play this for five, and it comes in with two shards, minus get another shard, gives you three constellation triggers. That can be good. Considering um, Epic, our uh, in-house enchantress player, it was really sad about this card. I, I don't think we're going to be seeing it in an enchantress-style deck anytime soon. Yeah, if 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 I have no... Ex, uh, no experience with Enchantress, and if Epic doesn't think it's any good, I'm inclined. Well, in that strategy, I'm inclined to s agree, just because I don't have mm -hmm. the know-how. Yeah, I just don't know how to value this card. It, it has stiff competition at three. Narset does effectively the same thing, and in, in the card draw aspect of the shard token. Uh, I mean, but the thing is, Narset can whiff. This will always draw the card, but Narset does it for free. This pays two extra mana to draw. It, it's really give and take and then of course three fairy is one of the best three drop planeswalkers excluding oko of all time um and uh yeah i i just have no idea how to evaluate this it's weird super weird maybe ooh, dude maybe this can go into this and kaya go into uh my uh esper humans or not i'm sorry esper uh hero list <laughs>
You and your S for hero list. You're about to... Dude, I, I want it to work so bad. Nico's alternate art's pretty sick, by the way. Oh, I did... There... I, it kind of makes me wish, like, man, couldn't you just do this for, like, the main art? Because sometimes I see the alternate art, and I'm like, this is way better. Like, no disrespect for the artist who does the main thing, but it almost feels like they just pay them way more to do the alternate art. I do want to say, we're talking about Berserkers, right? And how, like, they're just bad. Alex, I found your build around Berserker in this set. Here's the here's the Berserker you deserve. Death Knell Berserker. One in a black for a 2-2 elf Berserker. When Death Knell Berserker dies, if it had power 3 or greater, you create a 2-2 zombie Berserker. <laughs> there you go. There's your Berserker. Enjoy. It's not even a guaranteed replacement effect. You have to do some something to pump it. <sighs> then there's... There... There is. The elves have been so disappointing this set. I was so hyped, and so far I have been so un- like unimpressed by the elves. It started with the uh, the theme booster one. <laughs> it's the, the super expensive one. And it's just been... It's not been downhill from there. It's just been at the steady same shitty pace. <laughs> Perfect. Per- perfectly uh, balanced, as all things should be. Like, Harold, like we just talked about, isn't even that good. But all the other ones are stone-cold unplayable. I don't actually think the one that is sort of like... It's it's kind of like Dwinden's Elite. Uh, Elvish Warmaster. Uh, one on a green, Elf Warrior 2-2. Two, two. Whenever one or more other elves enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 one, one Elf Warrior creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. So it's sort of like build your own Dwinden's Elite. Feels very slow. Um, it has an activated ability of 7, elves you control get plus 2, plus 2, and gain death touch. It's, I don't know, it's giga slow. Maybe you run 1 or 2, just to have some more 2-mana plays. Uh, it can can get out of hand if your opponent just, like, doesn't answer your board for 3 turns, but, like, that sounds magical Christmas landy to me. There's a cute uh, commander card that got spoiled today. It's a Carter uh, Doom Scourge. It's a four mana, uh, two in Rakdos color, Demon Berserker, legendary creature. For a four three boy, when Carter Doom Scourge enters the battlefield until your next turn, creatures you com- your opponents control attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. Whenever an attacking creature dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. I think it's a, a funny, cute commander. Yeah, it's cute. What I find funny, because it was spoiled in German, there was another card that was a zombie berserker and it was spoiled in German and I first read the typeline, but the word zombie and berserker are the same in German. Are they really? So I just read it zombie berserker, then started to read the rest of the card and I was like, and it just took me a second to realize I was reading German. So I was like, have I lost the ability to read? Then it was like, oh wait, the rest of the card is in German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, zombie and berserker, they're obviously pronounced differently, but they are written the same way. Zombie and Berserker. Well, before we... Uh, so if you see a German zombie Berserker, it is the same as an English zombie Berserker. I learned something. Before we uh, start to head out, are there any other spoilers that you want to touch on before we go? Obviously, we have not touched on all of them. There's a lot. Uh, we haven't touched on all the other gods yet. Um, there are other mythic gods, as well as there's a cycle of rare gods that we haven't gone over. Um we haven't talked about Thor. We haven't talked about uh, Terragrid, things like that. There's one card I want to uh, touch on because I think this is super cool design. None of the 
go around for too long because I'm going to have to head out in a minute. Yeah. Uh, well, head to bed in a minute, rather. It is Fall of the Imposter. Again, translated. One green-white for a saga. Chapter one, put a 1-1 one, one counter on up to one target creature. Notable, can be your opponent. Chapter two, does the same thing. Chapter three, exile a creature with the greatest power among creature target opponent's controls. This saga will sometimes encourage you to put the counters on your opponent's creature, which I think is super cool. Which is so, so strange. It's so strange, but therefore I like it. I don't think it's good, but I like the wacky design. It it makes me think of people who've played Hearthstone when Hearthstone was like like a year old. Did you play Hearthstone then when it was new, uh, Brad? Mm, uh, I tried, didn't really care for it. Do you, do you remember the card Big Game Hunter? I remember about it. So yeah, so Big Game Hunter is just a card that says destroy target creature and opponent controls with power seven or greater. And there were cards that used to boost power till end of term, almost abusive sergeant, which is just uh, a one drop and it would boost a creature's power by two and you can use that on your opponent so you could boost your opponent's five power creature to be seven so you could kill it with big game hunter and it just makes me think of that where it's like this is just gonna make you take interesting lines yeah which might not even always be good but are interesting and you could feel smart it's like <laughs> look i took three extra damage to get rid of your card big brain and it took me three turns and it cost me three mana. Small brain. I could have... <laughs> Smooth brain. <laughs> and it's like, I could have just used Prison Realm and Scry one, but hey. Yeah. I feel smart now. Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's, there's certainly a card. I mean, you can even just put this in like the Conclave Mentor skill stack, right? And just don't never put the counters on your opponent's creatures. But it just get a counter, get a counter, one of your things goes. That's not the interesting way to do it, but it's funny. Where is our one mana berserker? I don't know. Like, I think they put them together with the good elves. Are we not going to get? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> are we not going to get a one mana berserker? I'm seeing a bunch of two mana ones. We got a stupid uh, dwarf, two mana two two that has tap target creature gains haste until the turn. Wonderful. It doesn't even have haste itself. Dumb. <laughs> so dumb. I will say though the. Uh, the one you're talking about, Fall of the Imposter, is uh, a story spotlight card and is a spoiler that Kaya seems to uh, possibly kill Tybalt or at least uh, reveal him to be the uh, the fake god that he's created this facade for. So that's cool. Spoiler, by the way, if you care about that and you want to read and be surprised about the new story, but you know. Um, yeah, but like the Berserkers, we touched on it last week. I said we probably need like 12 good one-mana Berserkers. So obviously three different cards like good one-mana berserkers in order to make that deck even remotely playable. And so far, we have gotten zero. Haven't even gotten one yet. So I'm uh, I'm not particularly hopeful. But I have seen good berserkers. The best berserker. Oh, Blood Sky Berserker is the best berserker, probably. No, the best berserker is Quakebringer. <laughs> the giant berserker for 5-4, five, <laughs> for 5. <laughs> That's the best one. And, I, and Rise of the Dreadmarn, really good berserker card. Doesn't matter, but it's a good Berserker card. Oh, Calamity Bearer is also a Berserker. Look at that. Dragon Nest Berserker. Look at that. Also a Berserker. Magda. Also a Berserker. Good Dwarf. They should have just... By the way, I've also been disappointed by that. I haven't actually seen very good Dwarves either. Just for a generic Dwarf aggro deck. 
My my current brew still has seven dwarves in it, and I had the goal of like this deck might be good if we have enough good dwarves so I can cut seven dwarves. We have reckless crew, and I haven't been able to cut seven dwarves. It's a four mana card. I don't want that in like a twenty land deck. Okay, yeah, but you're not playing in that deck. We're playing in something else. <laughs> you're playing in that in that in an equipment deck or a vehicle deck. Yeah, because you need vehicles. That actually might be cool in a, in a, a dwarf vehicle deck with uh, what's the Boros one for Kaladesh? The Pala. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That that's cool. Yeah, I have nothing else to talk about. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, the zombie berserker was Grim Drow that was initially spoiled in German, I think. But I don't have too much to talk about anymore. Well, I I can go on for hours and talk about the other cards, but then I will fall asleep in my chair tomorrow, which is probably a bad idea because I am two weeks away from finishing my internship. So <laughs> let's get this over with. We're also two weeks away from having the set release. So we'll, we'll have more to talk about. And then we'll definitely have more to talk about when we go through our top 10, which actually I think we're, I'm bringing it down to top five because I'm trying to get Adrian to join us as well as in addition with Matt. So top five with honorable mentions. So we would have four people. And then if we all do a top 10... Yeah, that's why... We will be there a while. It'll be longer than the live episode, which would be impressive. Would be the would be the play. Also, <laughs> yes. the the forcing us to think of 10 cars that will impact Pioneer is less than likely, uh, you know, to have 10 cars that would be big impacts. But reminders out the door. Alex, you plugged yourself earlier. Do it one more time for the folks at home work and they find your wonderful thoughts and your cool spicy deck list that they might be able to watch us play later on YouTube for their viewing pleasure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Disciple of Bolas. Uh, the name you'll find is Alex, picture from the Pioneer perspective. And um, yeah, that's just if I ever make a brew regarding the new set, uh, I'll will, I, I try and save my hot takes for the cast. Don't want to spoil them on Twitter. But if I have any cool brews or something coming up, uh, I will post them there. So um, surprisingly enough, I am yet to post my Grixis list, but right before a new set comes out, it feels a bit pointless to post a control deck because it's going to be completely different two weeks after the set is out. With those weird-ass numbers we talked about earlier. Yeah, the Dwarf Brew is uh, is on there. Um, the Goldspan Dragon Brew is on there, and I will probably be making, if I get enough elves that it changes my deck in a meaningful way, that will also be published there. And you can also find me on Twitter at Bradsifer, B-R-E-D-C-I-F-E-R, Lucifer with Brad in it. Fun, fun, fun. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch, same name, literally everything under the sun for social media. All of them, Bradsifer. I want to talk about one more spoiler real quick because it has to do with elves and it might not be bad. Oh my God. Is it, is it true? It is two, two, yes, two black-green. Harold Unites the Elves saga. Where the hell is this? I, I just saw it on Twitter from uh, Gabby Sparts. Um, one, chapter one, mill three cards. You may put an elf or Tivar card from your graveyard onto the battlefield. Chapter two, put a 1-1 one, one counter on each elf you control. And, my, and chapter three, whenever an elf you control attacks this turn, target creature and opponent control gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Oh my god, this actually might be good. This might actually be pretty good. Now, again, it messes with Coco, so it's a bit, a bit of a weird mash in the deck, but it's a Coco deck, you're made to get to four mana. And if you and the fact that it puts the initial card on the battlefield is really good. Yeah. Now, if you just straight up like cheat this out on turn three and you mill yourself for three and you don't hit an elf, ouch. 
Uh, I still don't think it makes Tivar good, but the fact that all these cards work with Tivar might actually mean that Tivar becomes good enough, where the King dude can find him, this can cheat it onto the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like the fact that it puts the first elf on the battlefield is really good. It's just like build a board, make it bigger, and then just alpha strike your opponent because of the third chapter. It 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 flows into each other really well. So you know what? Maybe there is a chance. Maybe they have the intent to actually make good elf cards. And hooray! I'll brew it up, and you can find it on my Twitter. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, and uh, interrupting the outro on Twitch. Uh, we you can also see me stream with Alex from time to time. We did recently stream a few uh, EDH games in paper on Spell Table. That was fun. Uh, we we got slapped around pretty good, except for Alex's last game where he got to ultimate. I had the best finish ever. I got to ultimate Nicol Bolas the Arisen and copy it twice. So on all three of my opponents, I exiled all but the bottom card of her library. And then I, I sit there and stare at my hand, and I have seven cards in my hand. All of them have something to do with drawing a card. And I was like, huh. <laughs> so I took the honorable route, and I drew my first card and said, okay, explore. Kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, like I said earlier, we obviously didn't go over all the spoilers. Way too much to go over. We'll chop. Tra- Try to touch on as many of the other rares and mythics as we can. Hopefully, we'll end up covering all the rares and mythics when it's all said and done. But in the meantime, if you are impatient and want to go check them out for yourself, go to mythexplorer.com, MTG Goldfish, or any of the various sites that are offered for your spoiler viewing pleasure. And remember to keep an eye out on our own Twitter, which is at Pio Perspective, where we will eventually update the uh, or provide an update for when we finally put up a uh, YouTube channel which I'll probably work on this week. And we'll get started on our first gameplay with the Brews. Other than that, we thank you so much for listening. We thank you so much for being here with us and joining us every single week. We appreciate your feedback over on Reddit. You can join us on the MTG at Home Discord server, play some games with us, and you can just chit-chat with us in general. We also have the Pioneer Perspective Mailbag, which we haven't gotten a chance to touch on too much the last couple of episodes because the spoiler season is so crazy. Um, and we usually like to go pretty in-depth on those questions, so it doesn't feel right to shoehorn one question at the very end and not give as in-depth of an answer as we would like to. But you can always hop in. We are probably going to do a catch-up episode. Yes. Maybe we do a bonus episode where we catch up on questions, and then... Yeah, we can definitely do that. But in the meantime, join the MTG at Home Discord server. Link is in the description, and you can go ahead and ask your questions on there as well. It can be anything you want, as long as it's not safe, or excluding not safe for work, political charge stuff, and uh, things like that. Otherwise, fair game, magic, or non-magic related things, and you don't need a Patreon subscription or anything like that to ask us questions. It's just joining a server. Easy peasy. But, like I said, we appreciate you, we love you, and we hope to have you listening to us again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.